Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm Gary Crenshaw, host of this podcast, and before we get started with this week's episode, I want to let you know I'll be doing some experimenting with episode length over the next few weeks. I think the ideal length of the specific car recommendation episodes I produce should be around 20 minutes, so I will be putting in place some strategies to hit closer to that mark moving forward. However, as I work towards that, ironically, this week's episode will be on the longer side. It's an interview I did last year with Chris Fish, a former American Airlines pilot, a friend of mine, and a fellow Miata owner on the upgrade path he has taken with his 1999 MB Miata. Now, choosing whether or not you should upgrade your vehicle and what upgrades to make is a decision many drivers go through. So if you're thinking about making upgrades to your car or truck, I think it'll be helpful to hear what Chris has gone through upgrading his car. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. Today I'm joined by uh, my neighbor and friend, Chris Fish, uh, to talk about Miatas. I wanted to bring Chris onto the Better Than New podcast because uh, this is a guy who not only loves Miatas like me, but he also loves to constantly upgrade his Miata and can't seem to stop buying parts and making changes. Uh, in fact, it seems like I'm always getting a call or a text from Chris saying, uh, hey, come over and see what I have in the garage. It's always something cool like a stainless steel header or a lightweight set of wheels or maybe a wood shift knob or something to match his car's tan interior. And uh, whatever parts are out there to make a Miata better, Chris has probably researched them in depth, so he's the perfect guy to talk Miatas and Miata upgrades. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. So how did you get hooked on, on well, Miatas? Um, you were a, a big influence, and then our neighbor directly next door, they have a uh, 2004 Mazda Speed Miata. And a long time ago, I remember seeing a Mazda ad for a Miata, and they were talking about the British racing green with the tan leather interior, and I thought, you know, that's just the the quintessential British sports car thing. And so that kind of got my interest up, too. But it was mostly talking to you and David that, that really kind of brought it around. And then I just started, I started uh, you know, watching them on Craigslist, and then I, I found uh, the Miata.net, and started reading on that, and oh, yeah, that's like a crack cocaine. Yeah, for, yeah. For and I spent, lovers, yeah. spent a lot of time, and then um, so I was kind of watching them on Craigslist, and you know, figuring out what I wanted, and I decided that I liked an NB better than than the other. At that time, the the ND hadn't come out yet, so they had. The, just to be clear, yours is a two thousand ninety nine ninety. Oh, it is a ninety nine. Okay, so it's a it's an NB one. It's the first year of the NB. <clears throat> And mine was actually manufactured, I want to say, in December of 98. I think that's when the, the tag oh, okay. is on it. And mine's, uh, it's green, but it's the... Uh, um, oh, it's the Emerald Mica. Emerald Mica. Green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so really it's got a little color. sparkle to it, uh, and but the tan leather interior. And when I got mine, it had 61,000 miles on it. Yeah, I think I'm the sixth owner. Uh, oh, God. Had, really? I, yeah, I pulled the Carfax on it. The car was in pretty pretty good shape, uh, and uh, it needed tires, and it needed an alignment very badly uh, when I got it. That's so, kind of standard yeah. procedure. Well, I remember when you were looking for the car, you uh, you must have sent me 
I don't know, five or six different Craigslist ads. Hey, Gary, Gary, what do you think of this one? What do you, what do you think of that one? It's like, and I, I think at the end of each one, I kind of went, you know, this is a great one. Just, you're ready. Just buy it. Come on, just buy it. So I I think this was, this is the last one where I said, just buy it. Well, the, this one, um, it was my wife and I were laying in bed and I'm browsing through my iPad at Craigslist and, and, this car another pops up. romantic evening at yeah. the fish house yeah <laughs> and and so i show it to her and i say hey look see this car see this one this color this price you know the it all this stuff I said that's the car i would buy if i was going to buy a miata today and she says well what are you waiting for <laughs> exactly so that was uh i i Kind of thought about it. I, 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 it takes me a little while to process stuff, but I got up the next morning and thought, I think that was the green light. So, when your when your wife says, "What are you waiting for?" Exactly. I mean, it's, it's like, "Hello." Just, yeah. So, and usually, like when I buy a car, uh, you know, I'll I'll really, you know, I'll pull a, a Carfax, and then I'll always do it with a provision that I get to take it to my mechanic and have him do a pre-buy inspection. But I just went down and drove this car. and Wasn't it down? Was it? It's down in Tacoma. Oh, okay. So about, yeah. about an hour from, yeah. from where you live. So I drove drove down there and looked at the car and drove it and all that. And, and we just made a deal. And I came home and got the money out of the ATM and, and, there uh, you go. And got talked my uh, youngest son into driving me back down there to drop me off, pick up the car, and drove it home. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I was, I was in the middle of I-5 and rush hour and, and driving right next to a semi. And I look, and the, and the, <laughs> the top of the tire is over my head. Yeah. And all the noise it was making, I was thinking, like, God, did what I did I do? A, did I make a mistake? No, you but didn't make a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. You know, it's, it's, it's like if you read uh, – I I have tremendously benefited from the Miata.net blog, and there's just so much information there. But one of the things that's kind of fun about it is everybody's so enthusiastic about the car. And and one of the most often repeated uh, phrases is, you know, that, that every time you drive the car, it puts a smile on your face. And it does. Yeah, it, you know, every time. It really, really does. Yeah, and it driving it down the freeway at 65 or 70 with the top down, um, that, that gets old pretty quick. But 45 to 50 miles an hour on a, on a windy two-lane road with a top down, you know, in, in nice weather, it just, it's just hard to beat. So after you drove it for a while, and I, I don't know how long you drove it before you started to modify it. I think it was you started changing things pretty quickly. But uh, what did you decide you wanted to change and why? So the first thing, again, I didn't, uh, spent a lot of time looking at stuff on the Internet, and I stumbled into or maybe you guided me towards uh, flying miata mm, and so yeah, flying miata has uh, they have some pretty high quality very well engineered in-house parts and then they they also sell uh, stuff from other vendors but they're kind of the true blood if you will i don't know if you know they that's the only car that they I believe that's the only one. Yeah, I think it's the only thing they do. And they've got a pretty substantial engineering department. And so I did a lot of reading on their site. And the first thing I decided to do was uh, was wheels and tires. And so so I ended up uh, buying some... and this was their their recommendation. They said for an NB, this, this is our favorite wheel setup. And so it was uh, the six ULs with... Uh, it's uh, a 15-inch... Is yeah, that a 15? 15? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a 15 by 8. 
Okay. And you, uh, but your car was stock with a 15-inch yes, wheel. Yes, it was stock with 15-inch wheels. And then I put Yokohama S drives on it. And I've been very happy with that. I mean, it, it, they look really nice. And the only drawback is, is that if you really wanted a car that would slide a little bit, this isn't the no, setup you want to go. Well. Yeah, yeah, it just sticks really well. <laughs> right. And then, then when it lets go, it's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a shock. Well, yeah. you could probably find some old 14-inch wheels off a of early Miata and put those on with some yeah. crummy tires. And Well, I've got, go I've got winter tires. And so mm-hmm. my, my winter all seasons, they'll, they'll let go a little, little sooner. You can play a little bit. I mean, that's kind of the fun of a Miata is that you can drive them briskly on a public road and when the tires do break loose and slide a little bit, you're not going so fast that you're going to well, it cause alarm. It corrects so predictably and mm-hmm. so you know, and so quick that it, it's uh, amazing. Um, but anyhow, so I bought the wheels and tires, and and that was in the fall. And um, I realized I wanted a hard top, and so I watched Craigslist. Yeah, and and finally one. Uh, color matching one popped up and so i went and, and of course that guy wouldn't he wouldn't dicker at all i think it was 1500 bucks which is pretty standard it's know? standard yeah, yeah. and uh, so i did the hard top and that was i drive the this is a daily driver i drove it to work i i you know drove it every day in the winter unless there was snow on the ground that was the only reason i wouldn't drive it uh, so the hard top was a good investment okay yeah. so wheels uh wheels and tires wheels and tires hard top and then uh so there was a, there was this great uh, uh, Miata. Uh, what would you call him? This guy that he he, he stripped Miatas and sold the parts. Uh, it was called the Parts Group. That was down in down in Florida. And the guy just he just closed up shop. He decided. To, oh no, they're gone. Yeah. I thought, wait, I thought there was like something coast. It was Treasure Coast. Treasure Miata. Coast Miata. They're all Treasure. They're they're the probably the next most popular but this guy they're still around yeah tom neely the guy that ran uh, the parts group was just great i mean he knew the car inside and out and you could you know he always answered the phone i don't know who else he had in his shop but he always answered the phone and you could just describe to him what you're doing and and he could tell you whether you know parts were compatible across different uh different models you know different years and all that but um you know, he was just a great source. So I ended up buying, I think it was $45. I got a set of white gauges. So in oh, 99, yeah. I remember that they had black gauges and 99, 2000 had black gauges, but the, the 2000 and the 2001 special editions had white gauges. And then I think when they went to the NB or yeah, the NB2 in 2002 or 2001, I'm sorry. And be, yeah, that, that's when they went to white gauges permanently in the car. So I just like the look of those. So I think that was like forty-five bucks, and I had to, I had to swap out. You could take your odometer out of the out of the gauge, and so I was able to do that. And oh, so you literally he sent you a whole new gauge cluster? Yeah, a whole new cluster. Oh, funny. Yeah. And you were able to take your odometer out and plug yeah, it in? It comes out. Yeah, it's all it's, again. It's all on the internet, you know, and how to do it. Uh, so I did that and. I don't remember what order, uh, but I got a uh, Nardi Wood shift knob. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did that. And then I found this guy. Uh, again, he was getting another Miata.net guy. And he had a wood, 
emergency brake handle that was broken in two. And so he sold it to me for 10 bucks. It probably cost him more to mail it to me. <laughs> what, so, did you glue it back together? Yeah, I just, I, I got, you know, I, I looked at it and the, it, would, really it would close up pretty good. And so I just used Elmer's glue and, and Elmer's, okay. glued yeah, it up. Wood glue, right. Glued it up nice and, you know, clamped you it put, up. Can you, oh, you put I a used, clamp on it? Okay. I, I, th- I might have used rubber bands. I don't know, but it, but it, it, it glued up. I mean, there's a seam there. You could see it, but it's, you have to... No, You'd you have to know you it's can there. see it. Yeah. I would not notice. But the only problem was it was finished in a really dark wood, and the, and the other stuff I had was light, and so that gave me an excuse to buy a Dremel tool, and I bought a Dremel tool. Oh and God! Put a little, you <laughs> put a little sanding, <laughs> put a little sanding disc thing oh, on it, God. you know, and, and sanded it off, and then uh, I used uh, marine spar varnish on it without any tint. Which I wish if I go back, and I, and I might go back and do it again. You're the real, only guy who would go back and do it again. Well, the real I wouldn't nardy, have done it in the first place. Yeah, the real nardy wood <laughs> has just a little bit of a red hue in it, okay. and and so if you look at my pieces, they don't perfectly match. But and but I'm going to hold okay. that against you. Yeah, and then I found a steering wheel in Japan for it was 160 bucks. Oh, it was a wooden wood the, steering wheel. The wood steering wheel, but then it cost 65 dollars to have it shipped from Japan. Here, but, <laughs> I figure, you know, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? And then, and then, uh, Mazda made uh, the. I, I know in the NAs they called the the tombstone, but that's oh, the part right. that goes around that surrounds the radio and, and the HVAC stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure if they call it. It's the same thing on the NA, but you could get one that had full wood grain on it from the factory, and so I got one of those. And then do I you, got. Do a, you have it in the car? Yeah, it's in the car. And then I have a. a I upgraded the uh, the center console uh, on the NAs, uh, or I'm sorry, on the NB ones. The the compartment and the and the cup holders in the console. You had to open the compartment lid, and it was long. It's like it's over 12 inches long. And so you'd open this thing up and it'd be right under your right arm. And that's where you'd put your beverage. And it's just not a very good design. Oh, that, they, the cup holder's inside. Yeah. Okay. And when they came up with the uh, NB2, then they actually had two tandem cup holders with, with little lids on them. In the correct position. In the correct positions. And then a smaller uh, box, if you will. So that's what I did on the inside. I'm trying to think if I did. And that's any... really just more aesthetic stuff. Oh yeah, just, it's all just, cosmetic. Just for Chris, to, yeah. You know, to, to look feel, at it go. Feel better, and so then, yeah. then I finally decided that I wanted to do the exhaust system. So I bought. Now that's uh, something I would do. Yeah, I do I, the wheels and I do the exhaust. I bought a racing beat header. I mean, I did a lot of research, and basically that's where people default. Well, I think they're like the only one left that's actually done a dyno test on their header i think they built like a jig and they put like 20 or 30 or 40 or maybe 100 different kind of variations of what the header would be like but running it like straight up from the car was kind of weird and you know this is to eke out another like two horsepower well that's part of the problem is that that uh, you know it's it's not the state of the art engine by today's standards no but but, but it's for, not bad. But for when the engine was designed, there's really not a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of getting horsepower out of it. What unless, you're saying is Mazda did a good job. Yeah, they did basically. do a good job. Yeah, yeah they, they, they really did. They did. There's a couple of things that that they did for uh, expediency with uh, because the engine was not – it wasn't a clean sheet design for the Miata. It was actually came out of a 323 GTX. Right. Which was the a – The turbo a, car, the turbo yeah, all-wheel drive yeah, rally car. Transverse mounted engine. 
And so when they turned it to make it uh, be a, a rear-facing engine, some of the things that came up is it made the, the oil filter was very hard to access. And also the cooling system, Mazda decided to have both the inflow and the outflow into the radiator come out of the front of the engine, where originally it was designed to go in, in the front and out the rear. Right, so that uh, resulted in a basically a hotter on one end of the motor yes. than the other. If you don't increase the power on the on the engine greatly, it it still wears okay. But if you if you say run the engine out to you know two hundred and fifty thousand miles and decide you're going to rebuild your engine, when when the rebuilder tears it down, he's going to find that cylinders three and four are going to have more wear. They're going to have less compression. They're going to have just show more wear just because they didn't cool as well as the front part of the engine so it's uneven wear it's what you get out of that which is bringing us to your next modification well (laughs) let's see so i put the header on and actually i think the first thing i did before i put the header on is i put a cold air intake it was a racing beat cold air intake which is uh i guess uh, you did do that yeah okay which there's a lot of debate whether that does anything at all for power but i'll tell you what as far as i couldn't believe the difference in the sound it made it made the car uh you felt like you were doing something i mean it just it sounded so cool <laughs> so i really enjoyed that mod and it looks nice under the hood it, you know it looks it kind of looks like you did something you know but i'm not sure if it really amounts to a whole lot but uh, and then i put the header on and at the same time i had did the header i'd also bought uh, new coilovers, and so I did. Well, didn't you do a cat back exhaust as well? Oh yeah, well I did the so whole the, exhaust system. The so, whole exhaust, and it was all so racing beat. No, the the center section, mid pipe, and the cat are flying Miata, but it's a racing beat header, flying Miata mid pipe and cat, and then it's a racing beat power pulse muffler. Cat back exhaust, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a bit louder. It's not a huge amount louder but but you definitely notice it and what but what i really like about it is you know these these engines love to rev and it gets a really nice note you get it above about four thousand rpm and it starts to sing and you really notice that exhaust system then because it really it really sounds good it is not loud though because you you drive by my house all the time and i i i know it's you I can hear it, and I'll just kind of look up if I'm, you know, in the office in the front window, and I can see your car go by. It's like, okay, yeah, I know, but it's not loud, but it sounds great. Yeah. So yeah, it's a nice. I'm glad you did it. Yeah. For me, I'm trying to think. Of, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. And then I put the the coilovers on it, and I'm trying to think. So they're the. Um, oh, I don't know how to say it. T e i n. No, they aren't. Aren't those? Uh, they are. Uh, they're CRDs. Is the is the model of them? Um, they're they're adjustable coilovers. Um, I'm I'm curious to know what you think of doing that kind of a mod. I mean, I like I like generally like the idea of an adjustable coilover because you can you can set the height where you want it. You can adjust the corner weighting mm-hmm. if you want. I mean, you can get real detailed with it. But on the other hand, being able to just like put something on there and you know install it and forget it is kind of a nice thing too. So did you tweak it? I haven't messed around with them a whole lot. I've got them adjusted right about the mid-range. So there, there's you can go, I think, 33 clicks from, from softest to hardest ride. This is on the shock. On the shock, yeah. Right. Uh, and then you can adjust the height 
on them. Out of the box, they were supposed to be properly adjusted, but I kind of messed around with a little bit. And what I found oh, was- Chris, you would never mess around with something <laughs> from the factory, would you? Yeah. Come what on. I found was that, that <laughs> I got them- that. I got them a little too low. And so when I was- We, we live at the top of- uh, at the thousand foot level of a mountain that- has some uh, very delightful windy roads it's on the way up road, and down. Man. It's a mile of windy fun. Yeah, and up uh, and down. So going down that in a spirited fashion, I was uh, rubbing the fenders. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So I had to. It had was to, that low. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It didn't look like it was that low, but I don't know if it's the nah. combination of the wheels and tires. You know, because the tires are a little wider and and Just all that. Little. But I was getting a little bit of rub, uh, you know, in, in the corners. So I, I. Uh, well, you know what they say about a little bit of rub. <laughs> yeah. That's not too not bad. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Not yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> so I did that, and uh, are you happy you did it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am. But that's probably more of a. Uh, I don't track the car. I don't really have any intention of tracking it, or, or so no autocross, autocross, no uh, track any days, of that kind of stuff. Okay. You know, um, so I think that that modification would probably be better for somebody that actually wanted to like drive his car to the autocross event or drive it to the track and then go on the track because you could set it at a level where it would be nice to drive on the seat on the street but then once you get to the track then you can you set it to another level that would be you know better for doing that and maybe have a little better handling so some of the benefit of these are, are a little bit lost on me but i'd i'd like to take it on a track i'd like to have a i've never uh, had anybody uh, train me and you know formally on how to drive a car fast so it'd be kind of fun to go out and do that and uh, mess around with some of the settings see yeah, what it would do. autocross would be a yeah. great thing to do yeah. your uh, miata is perfect for that so right. yeah and so i decided even though the car had sixty thousand miles on it i decided that i was gonna this is the first winter i had it that i was gonna go ahead and do the timing belt and so you know took it all apart and got the did the timing belt and the water pump and Put it all back together, and it actually cranked and and ran. It worked, yeah. You, yeah. you did it right. Okay. The the first time, but it was it took. I was probably like three hours of trying to set the timing belt right, which is funny yeah, because uh, there is a guy named Mike the Miata King that does. Oh, I, I've watched his videos. Yeah, he does yeah. these videos, and he's yeah. got a uh, he's he's a funny guy. He he has a big walrus mustache, and he and he has a little paper crown that he wears and but he's <laughs> yeah. he really knows his stuff and so a year or so later i've been having a lot of uh i shouldn't say a lot but i've had some oil consumption that i didn't think my car should have and so i you know chased down different things and and i ended up buying a a, a coolant reroute which we talked about and i just decided i started taking stuff apart on the car to put the coolant route on and then i also at the same time had bought a uh, an oil filter relocation kit and both of those things are kind of hard to do with the head on in the car they're not you can do them with the head on in the car I, most I people do this, yeah. but they're they're a little more difficult to do so i decided that i'd just take the head off so I took the head off, and, and it, was, it was sure easy to put the coolant reroute on, you know, because you had a lot of space in the back of the head. And uh, oil cooler relocation kit, uh, it was that was the one by Thompson Engineering. And so it mounts up 
just aft of the right front headlight in the engine compartment, which a lot of the oil filter relocation kits put it on the firewall. And what I've heard is that you get you hear all the, the fluid rushing through it inside the car. Oh, when God, yeah, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. So, but this kit is really, it was, it was expensive. It was like 350 bucks, but it was really well made. It gives uh, you a little more capacity. Gives you more capacity. It's very well engineered out of a piece of a, a solid aluminum billet. And then, and they have like cooling fins on the bottom of it. They've also got uh, some fittings in there. So if you wanted to attach, uh, you know, uh, an oil pressure or an oil temperature probe in there, you could do that. But it's uh, the hoses they use are uh, literally aircraft quality. They're and fittings and all that. They're not blingy. They're not, they're not pretty, but you'll never blow one of those hoses. It's really high quality. Well, for 300 bucks, you'd yeah. think that, yeah. It, it better be. be good. Yeah. So I did that. And then while I had the head off, I took the head to the machine shop and had them uh, machine the head. And while he was at that, uh, it, it didn't really... So you had a valve job done. Yeah, I had basically. a valve job done. Okay. And it didn't really need much, but uh, I had him shave 20 thousandths off while we had it out there just so we just get a little... Just a little more compression. A little more compression. <laughs> Bring it up from, I think it's 9.5 uh, to 10.0, okay. you know. And uh, did that change your octane rating requirement? Well, or? I... I assume it did. You know, so with an ECU in the car, it'll compensate for it, but it might not get the best power. So I've I've been running premium in it since. And as a matter of fact, there's a, a gas station here in town that uh, uh, sells. The Grange. Yeah. Yeah. They sell non-ethanol premium. So I run that. And yeah, that's it, good stuff. It's very happy. Yeah. Okay. It, it, the engine seems to run really nice. And I don't know what the cumulative effect of all this stuff has been on it power wise but it, it's so the car stock is like 140 horsepower what yeah which comes out to about 118 at the rear wheel right so, so i would say with all the mods you did with the exhaust and all that kind of stuff did you do the um camshaft as well oh, yes i did i put in a Mazda speed intake cam <laughs> See, you don't leave out the yeah. fun stuff yeah well, that's the that was oh that's that's when i did the water pump and the timing belt the first time. That's right. Okay. So did you yeah. notice a change after that? You know, they say you get like four or five horsepower. So I, I really, the only Miata I've ever really driven is mine. You know, I mean, I drove Gary's once up and down the hill and that was before I owned a Miata. Right. So I don't really have anything else to compare it to. Um, I am, I would bet that the cumulative total of everything I've done is probably less than 10 horsepower, but really? it's just knowing I did it. Right, you know right. that that's and the 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 butt dyno feels like I've got something more, and, and again, this is a fun thing about these cars is like you know when you're you you can drive it wide open and really feel like you're doing something, and you're not even breaking the speed limit. No, <laughs> no, the know? minivan so, next to you is pulling away. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but you you feel like you're accomplishing a lot. You know, actually, I think your year. So the, the year I have ninety four, um, zero to sixty times are right around uh, about eight and a half seconds. Yours is probably more like eight. Yeah. And then they get down lower than that for some of the later later models. But um, that's not bad. I mean, it's not, you know, nobody's going to be oppressed. Like, zero to 60 in eight seconds. Yeah. Uh, but it's quick enough to be fun. And your car is, when I've driven it, I know it's it's quicker than mine. I can I can tell that difference. But, you know, as far as what the, the mods you did, I would say probably at least 10 horsepower. Yeah, at least, you Maybe know. Maybe 11. Yeah. It's not, 
It's not underpowered. You know, it's not no, it's no. not anemic. But you know, like we had a, a 2003 uh, Honda minivan, and the Honda minivan would eat it for lunch. You know, in a yeah. drag race. Yeah. Those are quick. <laughs> yeah, they were. Well, yeah, it, it actually bad. had a really nice engine in it. Yeah. And some people are, are there is a kit to put those in a in right. a Miata, but I don't think a lot of people do them because the engine mount uh, system, the engine's cantilevered a little bit. And kind of a little so, complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's a really nice engine that for the 2003 Honda Odyssey, they actually took the uh, engine out of a 2002 um, Acura RDX. So, or, or what? What what's what's the SUV MDX MDX, MDX yeah, the RDX yeah. was a turbo motor no, no think, okay yeah so it was the MDX, MDX. yeah what's the same as the Pilot yeah yeah it was yeah. a but it was a two hundred and sixty five horsepower engine it's yeah, just really go. smooth and yeah, that that little that van would go it was <laughs> faster than the faster, faster than the, the Miata yeah. yeah now you've looked at um, turbos you've looked at superchargers you've probably looked at dropping a ls1 or ls2 v8 into your car there's actually uh i'm intrigued by the idea of doing an engine swap but it's it's really expensive you know and i'm not sure that i would really want to go down that road but if i was going to do it these guys in england developed a engine swap that's called the rocketeer and they take a three-liter Jaguar engine, which actually there was a time when, when Ford owned Jaguar. So this same basic block was put in a ton of Aerostars and, and all that. But in the Jaguar version of the engine, uh, they did a really nice kit. And the nice thing about it that made it a really good swap was that it was relatively easy to bolt up to the Miata transmission and the Miata rear end. And even though it was a little bit, so from what I understand, I don't have the engineering numbers on it, but the Mazda transmission or the, the like in an NB, mm-hmm. the transmission in the rear end could handle into the low 200s in terms of horsepower. Yeah, but the, that wouldn't the, surprise me. The real uh, deciding factor is torque. And so... People do build uh, Miata engines up to over 350 horsepower, but then they start having some issues with the transmissions. You can go up again, like to the low 200s, and all you really have to do is put in a a little stiffer clutch, and the rest should hold up. But one of the things that works really well with an engine swap is when you put a V6 in it, the power pulses are much less severe than they are on a four-cylinder. So it can actually take a little bit more power with a with a V6. Hmm, that's interesting. Didn't know um, that. There is a woman in England that has come up with a, uh, a swap using a Mazda V6 that they use. They put those in that Mazda 6. That would make 6. more sense to me. That, it would make more sense, but, but her... Hers is pretty well done, but the Rocketeer kit was really well done. What kind of horsepower are you talking uh, about? It was starting out uh, in the low 200s. And it's, when you say a three liter, it's a it's a V6. Three liter V6, yeah. Okay. And it was, uh, yeah, low 200s. And it was, um, it was, it was. It was a nice kit because, like a, a lot of engine swaps, you have to modify the firewall or you have to do something with the, um, what do they call the front clip, the, you know, the whole the, the engine mount system and all that. And this actually, I think, went in pretty well. And they made a really nice kit. And they actually sold it, marketed it here through somebody in Oregon. I'm trying to remember where they were. But about 
six, seven months ago, they decided to stop building the kit. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what all went on there. And I think they're starting back up, but I don't know for sure. Interesting. Yeah. I think you were, you were thinking of the word subframe. Yeah, the, subframe. The, yeah, that's motor. exactly it. Yeah. So that's, you know, the you can literally unbolt the whole subframe from the car and and swap another one in if you need to. But what would the motor come out of? What kind of what kind of for, Jaguar? Uh, for which one now? The you said the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. So uh, I think that at the time that that uh, Ford and Jaguar were together, then they would come out of like Tauruses and and. Oh, okay. So it's not necessarily a Jaguar. It would be out no. Of, out it's of a Ford product. Yeah, it, it could be a huh. Ford product. Um, there's. I mean, that was the nice thing about it, is the engines were. There's a lot of them out there. Right. And uh, I don't know the exact model number and what you were looking for with that. Okay, so um, so to get back to supercharger, supercharger, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. to uh, bolt on uh, power. forced in, forced induction. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a supercharger better than a turbocharger, just on principle. I don't like generating that much heat, and I like the idea of linear power. Um, so, uh, and I've done a lot of reading on that, and there's a, a guy that uh, his company is called Fast Forward Superchargers, and one of the really neat things about his uh, particular conversions uh, is that they're all uh, carb certified in California. So oh, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And he has a, it, it's a really, really thorough kit and, and uh, very well engineered. And a big issue with a Miata is when you start messing around with power is that the engine uh, management unit is not modifiable. You can't, uh, there are some cars you can go in there and you can buy a little box and you can tweak tweak a little tweak bit. the computer yeah. and get more power. But with a Miata, it's a closed box. And and so there are some people that have successfully done this and, and, and uh, I can't remember his last name, his first name's Tom, the guy that runs fast forward superchargers, but he has some cards that he, they're, they're tuning cards that, go into the wiring harness and they they uh, use the stock uh, engine management unit which means then that your obt your obd2 reader will still work and so when you go take mm. the car when you you don't have to anymore in the state of washington but when you go do uh like emission emission test yeah yeah it would yeah. you could still get proper readings out of it which that that's how it got its carb kept its carb certification uh was what he did there but it's uh you know if you go on the net and and look up fast forward superchargers and there's a ton of guys there's a bunch of kits out there and everybody raves about them I mean they just think you know that's if if that's the way you want to go and that, you're gonna get what uh, they're they're putting out about 250 horsepower yeah uh, they start start right around 210 you know it depends. Is, that at, is that at the wheels is it at the it's at the wheels the yeah contact patch? At, at the wheels and and then that's a, that's a lot. It's a lot, and yeah. then he offers. Uh, you know, you can you can go up. I know he he talks about uh, three three ten, but I think that's running wow. uh, e eighty five fuel. Okay, and uh, basically you get more power based on the size of pulleys you use on the supercharger. Yeah, it spins the rotors a little faster. Yeah, yeah it makes higher compression mm-hmm. and all that, and then and. A big issue with doing all this is is uh, cooling. So he uses uh, 
an extra fuel injector. So you use it, they call it e-cool. So you not it doesn't have an intercooler. No. Okay. That's it's called it's a, called a cold side because it's on the intake side. He manufactures his own intake manifold, and the supercharger literally bolts to the top of the intake manifold. So okay. it's, so it's, so kind of, it's a combo of an intake manifold and supercharger. Yeah, I think there's still two pieces. So the the supercharger is actually a, a fairly common one. It's used in in a. Uh, it's an Eaton type. Supercharger. It's an Eaton type, and he has he offers two versions of it. And there's one there's a. A lower cost version that's that's not quite as efficient. And then there's a, a newer one. I couldn't tell you that. I mean, if you look on his website, you can see them. Okay. Uh, yeah. And they're it's pretty obvious. I think you sent me a link, and I yeah. looked around. But yeah, people listening can figure that out. Yeah. And so then he does the e cool thing. So like when you get the lower uh, horsepower versions, you don't have to uh, actually add supplemental cooling to the intake manifold. And then as you start going up in horsepower, then it becomes more critical. Okay, but minimizes the, the detonation. Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. But the the uh, you know the the big thing about this is that you don't you know, uh, most times if you add forced induction, then you're going to have to go and put in an aftermarket uh, uh, ECU uh, to manage the engine, and mm-hmm. so you don't have to do that. And the putting in the aftermarket ECU is is great if you know what you're doing, but it's it's <laughs> not exactly a, a plug and play type thing. And so there is a the big name there is the Mega Squirts is, is what oh, right. you know what people use. But you really have to find somebody that that knows. I mean, you can teach yourself, but it's a long process. And, but you have you to kind of find a, somebody. Like a laptop is that how how you yeah, tune Mega and and you really should have a dyno. You know, and, right, right, and, right, and and so I mean that's that's the the way to do it properly, and uh, and so if you're paying somebody to do that, it can really add yeah, up. Yeah, that kind of quick jumps outside the scope of what we want to yeah. help people do. Well, here with this podcast. actually, what they say with doing the mega squirts is that uh, if you're thinking of going that route and you're going to go forced induction, to buy that first and and learn how to tune uh, on a basically a stock engine. Uh, because if you make a mistake, it's not going to have a, uh, nearly as dire consequences if you take a engine that's putting out a lot more horsepower and has some heat management stuff right. you have to be careful with. <laughs> you run a little too much boost. And yeah, yeah. You can, you can end up melting stuff hot, or yeah. breaking things. And, yeah. yeah. So It gets expensive really quickly. Yes. Yeah. So are you – I know you've looked at this thing. Are you going to do it? I I don't know. I uh, I, I really – waver with it you know again you know there, it, it's not like there's anything broken with my car no you know i mean it, it's never it's pretty was. happy yeah and, and it uh it's pretty happy the way it is and uh, you know if i never did another thing to it i could still enjoy driving it driving it for a long time i wouldn't have to do a thing but mm-hmm. part of me wants to do this just because just to say i did it you know and then of course <laughs> and, and, it, and then it's a real rabbit hole right I mean, like oh, yeah. you know if you're going to go if I'm going to go ahead and, and supercharge it, then, well, I'm going to have to put a clutch in it, you know. And if I'm going to put a clutch in, uh, I've kind of wondered if I you know, need to look at that rear uh, uh, oil seal. And if I'm going to do that and put the supercharger on it, then why don't I just pull the engine out? You know, I kind of always want yeah, to do yeah. that anyway. And then if I'm going to do all that, then I probably ought to uh, do something to help it stop a little better, since mine has the small. Yeah, get your Willwood brake kit for the front. Yeah, yeah Willwood brake kit for the front, and, and upgrade grand. the sports brakes in the back. And you know, and mm-hmm. again, 
you know, stop, stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You're talking a couple thousand dollars by the time you do all that right. Oh yeah. And the superchargers, what? Super, the supercharger kits, uh, $5,000. That's 5,000. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but that's, it, it's actually money well spent if you want that level of horsepower increase. Yes. It's Normally, a quality, yes, it, it's a quality, reliable system. And you'll end up with a car that's, that's still drivable, just like a factory car, you know, so it's not going to be uh, touchy or quirky. It's mm-hmm. going to be, it's just going to be a Miata that's a little bit more fun to drive. Yeah, or a lot more fun. A lot more fun. Yeah, I think a lot more fun. Yeah. It would be an awful lot of fun to go out and uh, piss off a few Porsche drivers and stuff like that, you know, and that would <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That like, could happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you should or save your money and just drive it the way yeah. it is. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, but, that's my vote. All right, well, let's, okay, so let's uh, wrap this up. Let's, so... Are you happy with the upgrades? I mean, is there, if you yeah, had to do I, it over, is there anything that you would say, you know what, I wouldn't do that, but I would definitely still do this? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's part of it is uh, I've enjoyed the challenge, of, of you know, because anything that you take apart on the car and start working on, you can find a, a, you can find a lot of uh, resources on how to do what you're doing and, and, and um and what you might run into, but every single thing that you do that I've done, I always run into something that I didn't anticipate. And so I think I really enjoy the the kind of the MacGyver aspect of it, where you, you're you're in there and you're committed to doing the job and you want to get it done, but but you're not, you know, you're you're facing something you didn't read about. So you got to figure out a way, you know, how to how to put it back together and make it work. And I, when you get that all done and everything comes out all right. That's a pretty good feeling, you know. And, and <laughs> but I got to say, you got the right temperament for it because uh, you will get to that point and go, "Yes, yeah, it's a challenge. I want to, I want to solve this," and you get it done. And then you'll go, "All right, what's next?" Yeah. Well, that's you know, at this point in life, so I'm just retired, and, and this is the first car that I have owned that I didn't have to have on the road. So it's you know, I have other vehicles if it doesn't work. I can take it apart, and if I can't get to it, that it can sit for a week or two. You know, it's not my daily driver. You know, right. there are a number of people that are are very big Miata enthusiasts, but this is the only car they have. So when they modify it, they're under a lot of pressure to you know if they're going to take like a weekend and 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 do some big job on it, then yeah. they need to have it on the road so they can go to work on Monday. Yeah, it's got to work that. Sunday night. Yeah, it's got to be running. Yeah. So if you have any advice for people out there thinking about modifying their, their Miata or any car, really. Well, uh, I, I think I would the advice would, I would give would be the same advice that I got that I ignored is that I probably should have driven the car stock without doing did, Didn't I give you that advice? Should have, should have driven it stock. Was, was that for, me? Well, it was probably you. And, and you also, if you read on the, on the Miata net, that's majority of the guys when people say hey i just bought a miata what's the first thing i should do and they tell them two things drive the car just the way it is and take some lessons take some driving lessons yeah go to a driving school yeah go to driving school learn how to drive it and then after you've had the car for a year you'll realize the things that that you want to uh, improve or not you know for me i could see if I ever bought another Miata, that I might leave it a lot more stock. But if I ever bought another one, it would probably be a Masa speed, so I wouldn't have to do very much to it. Uh, I, f- I fall into that camp. The uh, 
you know, it's pretty good from the factory. Just kind of leave it alone. Yeah. If there's nothing broke out of the box. You know, you don't really have to fix anything and, and it's, it's still just a ton of fun. And, uh, and there's some simplicity in that, you know, it's, uh, it's a very pure, lightweight yeah. sports car. It's yeah. just fun to go and, drive. And it really doesn't need like modifications to make it more uh, reliable or anything. You know, they're, they're reliable right out of the box. Why fix it if it ain't broke, right? Why mess with a good thing? Yeah. 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 Well, Chris, hey, thanks for being with, yeah, uh, with us fun. today. Yeah, it's been fun to do. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. So if you find yourself considering making changes to your car or truck, just like Chris did, the one thought I want to leave you with is this. When making upgrades to any vehicle, I suggest you start at the ground and work your way up from there. What do I mean by that? Well, you should start by upgrading your tires first, then your brakes, then the suspension, and finally horsepower. If your car can't go, stop, or turn properly, adding more power won't help. So I say add that last if you can resist the temptation. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode. And be sure to join me next time for another episode to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. Until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New. And I'm really glad you came along for the ride.